Another busy day here in Vancouver at the Roundup Conference with the Association for Mineral Exploration. Uh, today's focus really was on uh, finance and capital markets in commodities. Uh, so we ha we're going to really kind of focus on obviously the financing in commodities part in this uh, in this wrap up for today. But I do have to tell you, yesterday was a busy day. And yesterday they said there's about 5,300 people on the floor. I really feel like today was even busier. Uh, I dare I say maybe 5,500 people. I mean, the floor was really busy. Uh, so, it, but it, this is a conversation as we start this episode with the day two wrap up that we have. Uh, I'm really honored to have the chairperson and board member from Hecla Mining, uh, Ms. Cassie Boggs. Uh, Cassie, you gave the keynote at the luncheon today. I did. Uh, I was not able to attend, but uh, multiple people came up and said it was incredible like people were jumping out of their seats with enthusiasm oh, well is that, that true well that's uh, that's very kind <laughs> and uh, I think probably exaggerated but you know I tried to give people a perspective and in particular how hopeful I am I think this is going to be the decade of mining and why do you say that I, I I think this is the first time I've been practicing in the mining as a mining lawyer for 40 years and it's the first time in 40 or 50 years when I've seen such an environment, an encouraging environment where the world has acknowledged we need mining. And when I say the world, I mean governments, civil society, the environmental community has acknowledged that you need mining in order to meet our climate change goals. And so you've got a very supportive uh, social and regulatory environment, I think, in terms of governments now saying we've got we've to encourage mining. And I think uh, one of the things I talked about was, you know, the 80s was a very difficult time to find capital. Mm -hmm. Similar economic circumstances as today. High interest rates, uh, you know, lots of volatility. Um, but out of that came some really innovative financing structures. Private equity that focused only on mining, royalty companies, streaming companies, and so, there's just been more of those. All of that, that whole industry has gotten bigger. And I think uh, today's circumstances, because we have this sort of positive social environment about we need mining, I think that's just going to lead to some other financing opportunities as well. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, negative one years old in the 80s during the Volcker <laughs> years, so, but I, I've done enough, you know, economic history reading and research to understand the similarities. But we're not there, we're not pushing 20% interest rates, but capital obviously is more expensive. Uh, and, and I've asked this question to a number of people in the last couple of days is, how is, uh, how is the, the interest rate environment being more of a headwind in financing right now uh, while we also are seeing a little bit more optimism as in support and sentiment? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that uh, created the opportunity for like private equity is the founders of resource capital funds who I'd worked with, worked for, you know, they recognized that there was this intersection of uh, 
an industry needing more capital and investors who wanted higher returns, but they didn't really know very much about mining. So private equity provided that opportunity, streaming provided that opportunity, royal companies. And so I think we're in some ways, as you say, the interest rate is a bit of a headwind because that means there are investors out there that can make some very good returns in this industry. Um, and I think there's a lot of money out there uh, that people are looking to invest. And because, again, on the social side, mining, we all need mining now. You know, in the 80s, mining was bad. It was old school. People didn't want to put their capital there particularly. It was, or, or rather, it was much more controversial. Now you have people realizing mining's part of the energy transition. So I can invest my money there, make some good returns, and still be meeting uh, sustainability goals or ESG goals because this industry is a part of it all. So I, I think it's... I think it's a positive thing. Yeah, I, and I, I very much love the enthusiasm and the optimism, but I think my follow-up question is that it still feels like it's lagging. I, I don't disagree. It's taking a while because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really just been in a couple of years, maybe since Tesla and all those electric cars realized they need lithium, and then all these govern, governments have realized we need to develop our own critical mineral supplies. That is, so that's really just started in the last couple of years, maybe three or four years. And so it's going to take, I think, you know, capital a little bit longer to catch up to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's coming because, you know, like I said, we can't really meet climate change goals and, and move to some sort of energy transition without mining. Right. Uh, so let's transition to Hecla and Hecla's position in this. Uh, you, Hecla is the U.S.'s oldest miner, or silver miner. I'm trying to get yeah. trying to get my <laughs> my my points correct. Uh, and with the recent acquisition of Kino Hill, you are the world's largest silver miner. No, we're the largest silver miner in the United States. But we think with the acquisition of Kino Hill in the Yukon, we will soon be the largest silver producer in Canada. in Canada. And so together we would be the largest silver producer in North America. Yeah. Okay, but you're a silver producer. What's, how does that transition into what you're just talking about with critical minerals moving into this transition? What does, how, what's Hecla's position in this? It's, it's so great. Hecla is a silver producer um, and silver, you got to have silver to have solar panels. And so very important part of the whole photo photovoltaic uh, uh, innovations that are going on. And so we're a key part of, of the energy transition. I think it's been, it's, it's like one of the greatest times, I think, to be a silver producer. Well, you get the monetary medal in that too, right? Right. And, and you know, it's interesting. Silver trades both as an industrial metal and a precious metal. And if you look at some of the statistics around young people in India, they're buying more silver rather than gold for their bracelets. Mm. And so there's just, I think, going to be this expanded demand. And at the same time, there's, you know, projecting to the future, there are going to be, um, we, we have some supply gaps. Um, so 
I think it's a great time to be a silver producer. Uh, so lots of enthusiasm, optimism, but I, we're not without the challenges. What challenges do you see we, present, presently in 2023? What are we going to be faced with this year? Yeah, well, you know, the problem is in the United States, it takes on average seven to 10 years to, to permit a mine, and that's not including the inevitable litigation that follows. And so if it takes 20 years to get something up and running, that's a big challenge. And it not only um, doesn't meet a lot of, of uh, financial the returns for financial investors, but it just, you know, you miss the cycle kind of thing. So I think we really, you know, need to be able to look at that and see how we bring some more certainty to permitting, certainly in the United States. Because I think that's a problem. But everywhere, you know, even I think Canada, Australia, all those jurisdictions, it takes a long time to develop a mining project. And so if governments are very keen on trying to develop their own resources and reduce dependence on Chinese, on Chinese minerals, then or metals, then they have to they have to help support this effort to get these mines up and going in the United States and Canada. Obviously, there's another step in this process outside of mining, and, and I wanted to ask you this about, there, there's a refining process here. What's the capacity in permitting new refiners, smelters in North America? Because that's another challenge, I would see, that we're going to be faced with. I, I think that's a really good point, and I couldn't tell you the exact, I mean, I think that's the problem. Almost all the refining capacity and smelting capacity has left the United States, right. left North America. Uh, not all of North America, but um, how do you bring that back? Uh, and I, I was just uh, reading somewhere, I think the U.S. government is looking at trying to provide some support for private industry to bring back some state-of-the-art refining and smelting facilities. But that's a key part of it. And, and I think right now everybody's been focused on the minerals in the ground, but it's the, the next stages as well. Yeah. I assume you have a few friends in Ottawa and Washington, D.C. What kind of conversations are you having with those individuals to think long-term what's best for these countries and not just for the next election? Oh, uh, you know, I think, uh, and certainly Hecla has people that are talking, uh, talking in Washington. Phil is very active with the um, National Mining Association. But I think, you know, Part of it, again, I've said, for the last 40 years, the mining industry has been on our back foot, sort of always having to explain why we're important. And, and, and now the truth is, people have kind of acknowledged it. So we need to take advantage and rebrand and, and get ahead of this narrative and say, you know, mining not only is necessary for this transaction or trans, uh, transition, energy transition, but we've also been doing ESG and worrying about those issues for the last 40 years. And so we actually have the right ability to sort of lead in this area. And, and so we need to educate people in Washington who may have 40-year-old impressions of the mining industry and educate them on what we're doing and how we've been doing it for a long time and now we're going to tell everybody. Yeah. Well, I think with 40 years experience in this industry, you could tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also <laughs> the positive uh, energy that's happening right now with mining. Still a long way to go, 
we've, there's a lot of hurdles that will need to be jumped, but uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your enthusiasm. It's really refreshing to see. That's great. Thank you. Cassie, great to have you on. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back here with the uh, wrap-up from day two. We're going to conclude with a second segment here on the uh, second day wrap-up from Roundup. That's a tongue twister to say. Uh, I'm happy to welcome in, actually, an old friend of mine. A, a funny story, when I was first getting started in this crazy business and um, started coming up to Vancouver, uh, one of the first people I met was Richard Truman, who's with Geoscience BC, and now he's a guest on the podcast today. But I do want to say, Richard, uh, I always have appreciated your friendship and your support, and I'm really glad you're here. Thank you, Trevor. It's good to be here. It's good to be back at Roundup in person. Uh, how has, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy. We just we, we just heard uh, from Cassie, tons of enthusiasm, 40 years of experience in the mining sector. Uh, we talked about the finance side of things, but let's talk about the science side of getting through these yeah. next 10 years of hopefully a booming market in the mining sector. Yeah, I, I was listening to Cassie at the finance lunch and it was awesome, like the enthusiasm in the room, like there has been on the floor was incredible. And she, she was talking about this idea of a, of a decade of mining that's coming. And it, 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 it feels like it's coming, coming here on the floor. Like we've got new research out, we've got new research ideas for things that we want to be doing at Geoscience BC. We've got members reaching out to us talking about the sort of things they want to be doing. And yeah, with the, with the energy here on the floor, it's an exciting time. It is. Uh, a lot of people rely on your on, on your work, the organization's yeah. work. But for people who are unfamiliar, yep. you know, such as people for, like myself that live in the U.S., what is Geoscience BC? Okay, so, so Geoscience BC, we've been around since 2005. Uh, so we're a non-profit earth science research society. So all of the research that we do is public, all of the reports, all of the data is all free to download on the Geoscience BC website. And we focus on research that's related to minerals, especially critical minerals right now, big part of that conversation, on, um, on energy, including geothermal, um, and on carbon capture and storage as well. But obviously here at Roundup, our focus is really on minerals and critical minerals right now and some fun fun kind of stories so this is the kind of place where we hear about people using the data that we put out there so just this right. morning we had some folks come by the stand they were super excited because they have a new property they staked some new claims last year they have a new property going they've got some really good interest in it right off the back of some of some research that was conducted by one of our researchers a guy called Trey Coy um, mm. that we published last year so it's really nice to hear that evidence of we're putting the data out there, people are grabbing it, people are using it, and they're making projects happen. Uh, so every year at Roundup, you release this new data, but there's always kind of this, um, I don't, I don't want to say theme, it doesn't do it justice, but there's a certain area out of BC that you s typically focus on and then release that data during Roundup. Uh, so you had a huge release just a couple of days ago, uh, maybe it was yesterday, I've lost track of time. Uh, but what was the area of BC that you focused on this year and what did that data show? Yeah, so the data we put out yesterday is part of, um, part of a, a program that we have, a, a kind of multi-year program we call the Central Interior Copper Gold Research. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, we call it CICGR for short. So this is an ongoing program looking at what is beneath the till. What's the potential for undiscovered deposits beneath the till in an area in central BC? 
So for folks that are familiar with British Columbia, if you think about um, the Mount Milligan mine or the community of Mackenzie, and then coming south from there, down through Prince George, down to kind of Quinnell, Williams Lake area, or if you're more familiar with the mines with Mount Polly Mount Gib- and Gibraltar, those mm-hmm. kind of mines. So really just getting an idea of what could be beneath the till in that area. Um, so the latest data that we just, just put out yesterday on Monday, I know time is a bit <laughs> twisted this week, um, is some new mineralogical data, some new geochemical data from some sampling that was done last summer to really hopefully try to kind of drive that mineral exploration, that critical mineral exploration in that area. It's not the end of that program. There's a little bit more to come on that Mm. program yet, and there may be future projects to come as well. So there's also been some bits of geophysical data have been put out on there as part of that program as well. So that's been a big one for us over the last couple of years and a real kind of focus. So was there a claim grabbing rush yesterday and today after this data? (laughs) We don't know yet. We do track the the, the claim staking in the area, but it takes us a few days to catch up with the system. So I know... um, our GIS specialist was having a look at uh, where claims were at just at the end of last week, and we yeah we like to keep an eye on um, on how the claims are going. Another cool way that we can that we can look at things is we can look back at um, what are called assessment reports that people are submitting, and we can see um, how much they're spending on exploration, and we can see um, where they're referencing Geoscience BC. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that the the results from that show are pretty um, consistent with what uh, PDAC put out on on public geoscience. So, if we put about if we put a dollar into um, into minerals geoscience research, you tend to see a return on at, le- at least five dollars of mineral exploration investment. Some people are saying seven, something like that. But that seems to be that kind of like five to seven dollars seems to be fairly fairly yeah. consistent. So it's a it's a really good good investment. The work you do is not cheap, and you're a nonprofit. You have support yeah. from the province, but since I've known you and the organization, your funding model has also changed a little bit. You yeah. now are, you have launched a membership type driven yep. financing package. I, pa- I package sounds funny, it's <laughs> totally come from markets. Uh, but you know, that's another way of generating revenue to continue the work. So talk about that transition. Yeah, so we launched membership at Roundup last year, 2022. There was a small in-person Roundup at 20, uh, in, in 2022. Um, since then, we've attracted 150 members, or just under 150 members, which has been awesome. But the real purpose of, um, of launching that membership is not to generate revenue for the organization. There's really two reasons for doing it. So one is we know there's really good support out there for public geoscience on the mineral side, but also on the energy side. It's really helpful to have that membership group to be able to demonstrate that when we're when we're looking for funding. Mm-hmm. But the other really useful thing that we're finding about uh, about the the membership structure is it kind of gives us like a virtual tent to talk to people about the kind of research that's needed. So, if you are interested in in exploration in BC, if you have projects in BC or you would like to have projects in BC, then being part of that membership group that includes some of the majors, it includes tech for example, it includes some of the juniors, but it also includes communities, so the city of Prince George, for, uh, uh, sorry, city of Terrace for example is a, is a good example. It includes some indigenous groups too. So as we're looking at what kind of research is needed in the future, we can bring all the relevant people around the table right from the very beginning, from before the staking point at the geoscience stage to make sure that they're all kind of involved in figuring out what mm. kind of thing is needed. And it also helps us to kind of filter through the priorities as the demand for public geoscience is changing so fast, right? Yeah, it's it's important work. I'm uh, curious, 
what is in store for do I dare say Roundup 2024? <laughs> well, you know, what's what are you what's the organization working on now that potentially could be released a year from now? So we have. Um, so we, we, we talked about earlier how there's some, we had some new results out this week from the Central Interior Copper Gold Research right. Program. By the time we get to Roundup 2024, uh, the current projects that we have in that program will be finished. There may be more, so there'll be some results from that. Another project which is getting a huge amount of interest here, it's not finished yet, but there is a poster down in the poster session at the end. And this is looking at um, mapping lithium concentrations in brines in northeastern BC. So this is something that's been done in other provinces with similar, ge similar geology, but it hasn't been done in, uh, in the northeast of BC where the geology is similar to Alberta, for example. Okay. So getting that public data set out on what are the lithium concentrations in brines, people are super interested in that. Obviously lithium a hot topic right now. Um, and we hope to have some results on that out um, probably later in the spring. Okay. Um, but yeah, lots of people asking about that. Also, we're looking at what do we do next? So I mentioned that you know the, the membership gives us that good opportunity to talk about what kind of research is needed next. Off the back of some of those conversations with, with members, we've developed what we're calling project concepts. So these are ideas that are formed, but not completely formed yet. So um, there's a lot of interest in doing some additional research, looking at potential for critical minerals in mine tailings and mine waste. Um, so a lot of people interested in that and how we might move that forward. Um, and then also a lot of interest in continuing some of the more traditional work that Geoscience BC has done. So those regional scale geophysical, geochemical surveys that have really helped to drive mineral exploration since we started in 2005. Uh, if you wanted to go download this data or maybe inquire about a membership to Geoscience BC, where yeah. do you go? So all of the data, all of the reports, they're all public science, so they're all free to download at geosciencebc.com and you'll find all the information about, um, about Geoscience BC membership there as well. Richard, it's good to have you on. Thanks Thank for you, Trevor. All good right. to see you. Uh, that's a wrap here on day two from Roundup. Uh, it sounds like there's a few events happening tonight. I'll probably make it out. All right, everybody, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a great evening. Be well.